the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. Monday, December 11th, 2023. I am Seth Liebson. Mr. Bill, good to see you. David Dahl, good to see you. Terry, I know you're there, though I can't see you. You know what December 11th means? Day before Frank Sinatra's birthday. December 12th is Frank Sinatra's birthday. I will have to bring in the Chrysler tomorrow. Yeah. Do, do you have two cars now? I, I borrow a car sometimes. Oh, do you? It's, yeah. it's you know... You got to give old. We've got monologues to get to, but as much as I love cars from 1981, cars from 1981 don't go over 60 miles an hour very well. (laughs) Well, you got to take old blue eyes out for a spin tomorrow. Of course. Well, I do most days. (laughs) Everyone is focused on our universities right now billionaire hedge fund managers and donors, millionaire investors and alums, the networks, Congress. And old school liberals are falling all over themselves saying, we had no idea it was this bad. We had no idea it was this rotten. And everyone is sending me things like audio of Fareed Zakaria, his audio of which I will play shortly. He of CNN. Well, I want to ask, where y'all been? Did anyone send Zakaria our stuff over the past several decades? Or is it only now that he's truly awake We are supposed to take some kind of confirmation we were right all along, as if conservatives need the scepter dawning of liberal acknowledgement of all our work for the past several decades. Truly, who who sends Zakaria and others our stuff? Why is it only their stuff that gets sent around for years and years and years while they are wrong for years and years and years, only to wake up at the moment of crisis after the thunderclap, if I can paraphrase Victor Hugo, when the storm clouds have been building for years. Alan Bloom wrote it all up in a New York Times bestseller almost 40 years ago in his book, The Closing of the American Mind. Nearly two decades before that, Tom Wolfe wrote it up in Radical Chic, where good and wealthy liberals went to Leonard Bernstein's house to give money to a group, the Black Panthers, that wanted to ensure nobody would ever again have homes like Leonard and Felicia Bernstein's. As Tom Wolfe put it, echoing the work of political scientist Seymour Martin Lipset, people with right-wing lifestyles giving money to left-wing outlooks. That is the story of higher education, too, and it has been for some time. As Alan Bloom put it over a generation ago in his bestseller, Closing of the American Mind, about what college students were receiving, he wrote, The heads of the young— are stuffed with a jargon derived from the despair of European thinkers, gaily repackaged for American consumption and presented as the foundation for a pluralistic society. That jargon becomes a substitute for real experiences and instinct. One suspects that modern thought has produced an artificial soul to replace the old one supplied by nature, which was full of dangerous longings, loves, hates, and Oz. The new soul's language consists of terms like value, and ideology, and self, and commitment, and identity. He could have added the word context. Every word derived from recent German philosophy and 
each carrying a heavy baggage of dubious theoretical interpretation of which its users are blissfully unaware. They take such language to be as unproblematic and immediate as night and day. It now constitutes our peculiar common sense, close quote. In other words, we engage in Kant and tired recitations of pabulum that mean nothing of inspection, but come with and from the language of pseudo-sophistication whose provenance is not American, but Marxist. And this Marxism has always been deeply racist and deeply anti-religious as it wraps itself in mantles of anti-racism and anti-Islamic bigotry. In fact, Marxist movements from the 1950s onward have had no problem elevating racist views wedded to minority considerations, perhaps even before that, as the Grand Mufti of Jerusalem had no problem working side by side with Adolf Hitler, just as Muslim terrorist movements have had no problem taking money and support from the atheistic USSR and now China. But it at some point comes to an obvious end or conclusion that it is not religion per se the communists want to wipe out any more than it is racism per se the communists want to wipe out. What they want to wipe out is Western philosophy, enlightenment thinking, to create their own religions and their own new race of man. And the enlightenment thinking they want to wipe out, they want to do so because it truly baselines itself on real equality of all people, regardless of race or religion. But under an economically capitalist system that allows individuals to unwealthen themselves rather than subordinate themselves to a state, a king, a theocracy, or a schematic of racial superiority and inferiority. But that is what DEI is all about, just as that was what multiculturalism in its earlier forms, the DEI precursor, was all about. And so we get these modern Rip Van Winkles or Farid Zakaria's. I don't know that I have enough time to play it in this segment, so we'll play it in the next one. But you can read his piece as well, his attendant police piece at CNN. Um, he writes that three university presidents came under fire for their vague and indecisive answers when asked whether calling for the genocide of Jews would violate their institution's code of conduct. But to understand their performance, we have to understand the shift that is taking place, has taken place at elite universities, which has gone, have gone from centers of excellence to institutions pushing political agendas. Those very words, those very sentences would have been and could have been and indeed were written by Conservative after conservative after conservative in pages of National Review, in the pages of commentary, in the pages of the public interest have been spoken on talk radio for over 30 years. Those exact same sentences that the elite universities, indeed almost all universities, have gone from centers of excellence to institutions pursuing and pushing political agendas. And he says people see through the transformation. Well, they're beginning to here and there. I don't know that enough do. 700 professors at Harvard, who knew they had that many, 700 professors at Harvard just wrote a public letter backing up their enfeebled 
and scandalized president, enfeebled and scandalized not just because of her testimony last week, but about all that has become unleashed from it. Once you sense a fraud, usually more fraud shows in the academic setting. Usually in institutions of higher education or intellectual pursuits or, uh, shall we say, salons like colleges, like prep schools, like high schools, when you find intellectual dishonesty or when you find intellectual cowardice or when you find intellectual incongruency, you find it across several different levels upon inspection and indeed – With Claudine Gay, the president of Harvard, more has turned up, including vast amounts of plagiarism, vast amounts of plagiarism from the president of America's most prestigious university, who at the age of, I believe, 53, same as Hunter Biden, has actually published zero books, zero books. President of Harvard University has put she is both the symptom and the cause of not only race based affirmative action and DEI multiculturalism. She is its problem and she is its solution. This is rampant throughout academia. People are getting a look under the hood of it and the wagons are being circled, particularly by the faculty of Harvard which 10 years ago would have never accepted this for a moment and now pushes it and bruits it around the rest of America's university and college system. We have it at ASU as much as they have it at Harvard. And I don't know if we can ever get to the bottom of it and root it out. I just don't know if these institutions are salvageable. I'm Seth Leibson, 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. We kind of need the better part of this song, you know, not the Les Brown and his band of renown. That's the band of renown. We need the Les Brown part. We need. <laughs> this is in there three times already. I know. We need. It's not we good. Need four. It's not good until we have four. No, it's just not good until uh, it's we very get, good. <laughs> we need the main artist there, not not the not the backup band. We need the main artist. Welcome artist. back. Did you have a good Did weekend? You, so, so we just need Stan Kenton then, right? Oh, stop. Got you right, right? Is yeah. that Stan Kenton's band? No, but Maynard was in Stan Kenton's band. Yeah. That's well, no one wanted to listen. To... Okay. Uh, 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 what was that you were just about to say? Okay. <laughs> uh, you, I think you understand that, I which do. I am trying to I say. Do. I okay. do. I understand uh, it intimately well, which is why I can riff off of yeah, it. Yeah, I guess. I hope you had a good weekend. Did you watch any good movies? Um, I don't think so. But you know what I did do? What? Um, I went to Book Gallery, which we talked about. Oh gosh, about a month ago over with on John Indian Shattuck, School. Yeah, where, where I got you the found Shattuck Stephen book. Shattuck's yeah, book. Yeah, yeah. Do you know that he's a fan of the show? No. Hope he's listening right now. But uh, he remembered you, and do you know what he said? Quote. He said he remembered your intense focus. Really? Yes. I had an intense focus. Apparently, that day you did. <laughs> and uh, I was looking for Christmas gifts and found some treasures, and I also found some personal treasures. They had some old James Bond paperback books, and I remember having those when I was a little boy, and I filled out some of my collection. I don't think anyone's ever accused me of having intense focus. <laughs> Usually they complain about my distractedness. <laughs> have you ever seen me have intense focus? 
Would you ever describe me as someone with intense focus? Every day from three to six. Can you play Fareed Zakaria? Indeed we can. Here's my take. When one thinks of America's greatest strengths, the kind of assets the world looks at with admiration and envy, America's elite universities would long have been at the top of that list. But the American public has been losing faith in these universities for good reason. Three university presidents came under fire this week for their vague and indecisive answers when asked whether calling for the genocide of Jews would violate their institution's codes of conduct. But to understand their performance, we have to understand the broad shift that has taken place at elite universities, which have gone from being centers of excellence to institutions pushing political agendas. People sense the transformation. As Paul Tuff has pointed out, the share of young adults who said a college degree was very important fell from 74% in 2013 to just 41% in 2019. In 2018, 61% of those polls said higher education was headed in the wrong direction, and only 38% felt it was on the right track. In 2016, 70% of America's high school graduates were headed for college. Now that number is 62%. This souring on higher education makes America an outlier among all advanced nations. American universities have been neglecting a core focus on excellence in order to pursue a variety of agendas, many of them clustered around diversity and inclusion. It started with the best of intentions. Colleges wanted to make sure young people of all backgrounds had access to higher education and felt comfortable on campus. But those good intentions have morphed into a dogmatic ideology and turned these universities into places where the pervasive goals are political and social engineering, not academic merit. As the evidence produced for the recent Supreme Court case on affirmative action showed, Universities have systematically downplayed merit-based criteria for admissions in favor of racial quotas. Some universities' response to this ruling seems to be that they will go further down this path, eliminating the requirement for any standardized tests like the SAT. That move would allow them to then take students with little reference to objective criteria. Of course, those who would suffer most would be bright students from poor backgrounds who normally use tests like the SAT to demonstrate their qualifications. In the humanities, hiring for new academic positions now appears to center on the race and gender of the applicant, as well as the subject matter, which needs to be about marginalized groups. A white man studying the American presidency does not have a prayer of getting tenure at a major history department in America today. Great inflation in the humanities is rampant. At Yale, the median grade is now an A. New subjects crop up that are really political agendas, not academic fields. You can now major in diversity, equity, and inclusion at some colleges. The ever-growing bureaucracy devoted to diversity, equity, and inclusion naturally recommends that more time and energy be spent on these issues. The most obvious lack of diversity at universities political diversity, which clearly affects their ability to analyze many issues, is never addressed, showing that these goals are not centrally related to achieving or sustaining or building excellence. Out of this culture of diversity has grown the collection of ideas and practices that we have now all heard of, 
safe spaces, trigger warnings, microaggressions. As the authors Jonathan Haidt and Greg Lukianoff have discussed, many of these colleges have instituted speech codes that make it a violation of university rules to say things that some groups might find offensive. Universities advise students not to speak, act, even dress in ways that might cause offense to some minority groups. With this culture of virtue signaling growing, the George Floyd protests erupted and many universities latched on and issued statements effectively aligning their institutions with these protests. By my memory, few took such steps even after 9-11 or during the Iraq war. In this context, it is understandable that Jewish groups would wonder, why do safe spaces, microaggressions, and hate speech not apply to us? If universities can take positions against free speech to make some groups feel safe, why not us? Having coddled so many student groups for so long, university administrators found themselves squirming, unable to explain why certain groups, Jews, Asians, don't seem to count in these conversations. Having gone so far down the ideological path, these universities and these presidents could not make the case clearly that at the center of a university is the free expression of ideas, and that while harassment and intimidation would not be tolerated, offensive speech would and should be protected. As CNN's Van Jones has eloquently said, the point of college is to keep you physically safe, but intellectually unsafe, to force you to confront ideas that you vehemently disagree with. What we saw in the House hearing this week was the inevitable result of decades of the politicization of universities. America's top colleges are no longer seen as bastions of excellence, but partisan outfits, which means they will keep getting buffeted by these political storms as they emerge. They should abandon this long misadventure into politics, retrain their gaze on their core strengths, and rebuild their reputations as centers of research and learning. I would uh, invoke the great Christmas movie and simply say, welcome to the party, pal. Well, welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. John Dombrowski brings us our culture and economy update. He is the president and founder of Grand Canyon Planning Associates. His website is grandcanyonplanning.com. How are you, J.D.? Fantastic. Thank you, Seth. I hope you had a good weekend. I did. That was some great music there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I think that was Doc Severinsen. If I'm Wonderful, yeah. yeah. He used to do his tour, right, each year? Probably Absolutely. still does. Who knows? Well, he's still around, believe yeah, it or not. Yeah, I know. He probably he's the last still... of them, mm-hmm. of that yeah. crowd. And we shouldn't talk too much about him, probably, because you, know, you know what happens. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, listen, John, uh, this is kind of interesting. Um, Macy's. Um, you, there's, their shares surged over 20% mm. after it receives a nearly $6 billion buyout offer. Just when yeah. we th- weren't so sure that these big box stores were doing okay, someone wants them, huh? Yeah, you know, and there's a, a, a talk. First of all, Macy's, I mean, it's an iconic sure. brand, right? Yeah. And it's been around, I think it was established in 1858. In Massachusetts, uh, by, uh, maybe? R.H. Macy. Yeah, I think. Uh, and uh, so interesting. It's been around for quite some time. The Macy's Day Parade, right? We all know about that, the Thanksgiving Day Parade. Do you remember the expression, does Macy's tell gimbals? Do you remember that expression? It's an old expression. 
Gimbal's, well, do you? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. You and remember, remember the uh, the movie? Yes. <laughs> okay. Thirty right? Fourth Street was it? Thirty Miracle yeah. on Thirty Fourth yeah. Street. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, so very interesting. There was a definite competition between Macy's yep. and Gimbal's. Yep. No question about it. Someone won. Uh, <laughs> There's a clear yeah. winner. Yeah. Right. <laughs> no one knows Gimbal's. <laughs> well, it's interesting because Macy's did have its have its challenges as yep. well, and yeah. actually, at some point, they did go bankrupt mm-hmm. and eventually were bought out of bankruptcy and uh, by Fed. I think it was the Federated Department. Yeah, that's or right. Uh, who then went on to buy other brands, Bloomingdale's, Bloomingdale's maybe, and yeah, yeah, Bloomingdale's and some others, uh, and has has created quite a uh, again continuing the iconic brand of Macy's. They yeah. renamed it again back to Macy's in 2007. So one of the interesting sides to this that I think you have to look at is is a lot of these stores, uh, Macy's and other big box stores, owned a lot of real estate. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we got this 5.8 billion dollar offer on this company, but. Many believe that the real estate itself uh, has a, you know, maybe a four, a four to five billion dollar value alone. Uh. Um, so it's very possible, I think, that you know Macy's may be looked at again and reevaluated before any type of a final deal would be put together on this. Mm, okay. It is but think about that. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Think about that location where they're at. I think it's uh, 34th Street yeah. or something yeah. like that in New York City uh, in um, Herald Square or something. It is Herald um, Square, yeah. Yeah. Um, they That is a, a tremendous amount of uh, you know visibility and a wonderful uh, space right there, a piece of real estate right in the middle of, uh, of New York. So uh, that is an iconic place, and I think that uh, if this does go through, it's going to be a, a win for whoever does get it. It is interesting because it's kind of set on the other side of this thing around Christmas time. Hasbro, I see, is cutting a lot of jobs. Toymaker. Yeah. And- yeah. It's it's just you hate to see an innocent company or a seemingly innocent industry go through something like that, especially around this time. Toy making, you know, is anything sound more innocent than that company? That uh, you're makes right. Toys? You're right. Uh, but what really is interesting is if you look, a lot of companies are laying off a lot of their uh, staff right now, and yeah. uh, this is uh, in one of the Spotify was another one that just laid off a, a, a large number of their employees, and the stock price has just been uh, you know increasing. Uh, you know, investors oftentimes look at this as a cost-cutting measure, which is going to ultimately make the company more profitable. Um, but you're right. I mean, this time of year to to announce these big cuts and I these layoffs know. is a, a difficult time for, for many people. I know. Yeah. That, it, it's just kind of sad. It's kind of an innocence loss. But, of course, you know, these aren't really American companies in so many decisive respects many anymore. Many cases, anyway, that's true. Right? Yeah, you know, they're just very true. Not. But they do employ Americans. Um, they do. Mm-hmm. And job growth? Slowing a little bit, generally speaking? Yeah, yeah. generally, yes. Uh, I think that, uh, again, all the steps that the Fed has taken up to nope. this point, uh, we're starting to see the effects of it. And that's nope. why I know many people were saying, hey, the Fed shouldn't raise rates anymore. Nope. You know, they've, you know, let's take a wait and see type of an approach. And I think we are seeing the Fed is doing that right yep. now. Yep. Uh, and ultimately, um, unfortunately, I should say, we're going to probably continue to see a little bit of slowdown when it comes to jobs, yep. and we're going to see more layoffs happen. And uh, But on the other side of it, uh, the economy looks, at least at this period of time, that we probably are not going to have that deep recession yeah. that many were fears. the soft landing thing. Yeah, the Seems soft landing to be coming. even no landing. You know, just even no landing. Kind of <laughs> slide right in to just continue on. So. Uh, the big thing we have to look forward to is, of course, the national debt. That's got to be uh, what what our 
people in Washington need to be looking God at knows. working seriously about. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm sure you talk about that a lot. So. Thank you, J.D. Bless you. You bet. Our website's GrandCanyonPlanning.com. You could request an appointment there. Securities and advisory services offered through Creative One Securities LLC, a member of Finman Sipican, an investment advisor, Grand Canyon Planning Associates LLC, and Creative One Securities LLC, and not affiliated. Thank you, Seth. Give us your favorite Christmas song tomorrow. We'll introduce you with it. You can oh have my that gosh, privilege. okay. Chestnuts. Okay. On this date in 1980, the first episode of Magnum P.I. Not a bad anniversary, that, huh? No, not a bad anniversary at all. I think it was called Never Eat the Snow in Hawaii. I believe that's what it was called. I think I may have even seen that episode. Have you? It's a two-part. It's probably the only episode of Magnum P.I. that I've seen. Robert Loja's in it. You need to fix that, by the way. Well, we're working on it. You know, I was pretty far into the Rockford Files, and then Amazon decided to pull it from their uh, library. Yeah. Uh, you know, I got to do them one at a time because the Rockford Files yeah. introduced Magnum. Correct. It began and then Magnum. I branched myself Correct. into Magnum. Correct. Nice. Nice work. I noticed an ad for Dennis Prager, Pragertopia. Mr. Bill, can you hear me? And one of the things he advertises that you get is his producer, Alan Estrin's emails to Dennis Prager at night. Evidently, Alan Estrin sends an email to his boss, Prager, the host, Dennis Prager, every night. Theoretically, I'm guessing, with smart things to think about or interesting things to think about. And I was just thinking, if anyone ever saw the emails and texts you send me at night. That I send you at they'd night? They'd think we're nuts. Oh, my goodness. They'd, what have I... What have I? They'd think we're nuts. I'm a public person. You send... Some of the oddest things at the weirdest hours. Yes. Oh yeah. Well, uh, like what? Let's. let's no, I'm. I, I, it's enough. Just gonna. Keep it's about in. food. It's about music. It's about abstruse and recondite movies and TV shows that no one's ever heard of. Sure, it's probably the stuff that I'm doing at those hours. Yeah, I'm sure, but it doesn't help me prepare for the show. Rich, Rick is in Phoenix. Hello, Rick. Uh, hello there, Sam. How are you, Thanks man? For- Okay, thanks for taking my call. Of course. Did we lose you? I guess we lost him. We lost Rick. Rick dropped. Okay, he'll call us back, hopefully. Um, Where do you guys stand on Alex Jones going back on Twitter? And is it odd that... Elon Musk said he put it up to a public poll and the people spoke. I got into this discussion with a friend of mine this morning. And is it odd, too, that Vivek Ramaswamy was doing an event with him and Elon Musk? What do we have to do? We have to bring back all of that stuff. I understand he has a following. And I understand, you know, some of the stuff he exposes or says or talks about finds agreement. But there's so much there that's just sub-mud that I don't understand why, as a movement, we have to embrace that when there are so many quality thinkers and speakers of such greater intellect and intelligence that don't engage in that nostalgia de la bouille that makes us look ridiculous. 
I don't get it. What, David? Were you going to weigh in on this? Well, since I'm of the younger yeah. side in this relationship, yeah. why was he taken off of Twitter in the first place? Well, he was taken off because of things he had written that were so offensive along the lines of Sandy Hook and conspiracies mm. about 9-11. Yes, and bells. The defamations in Sandy Hook, I think, were the, were the, were the worst of it. But he was also, I mean, he was taken off pre-Elon Musk when too many people were taken off with too broad of a swath and it didn't, or too broad of a cut. And it didn't make a lot of sense, to be honest with you. This is the problem when you don't have a consistent standard. This is the discussion I was having with my friend. This is the problem that the university presidents and all the universities are wringing their hands over right now, is they don't have a consistent standard. All of a sudden, for example, these elite and Ivy League institutions have become absolutists on free speech, as all of a sudden ASU has become. But when for the past 10 or 15 years it was a conservative, they could have cared less about standing up for free speech. They were just fine with the cancel culture. They were just fine with the shutdowns and the censorship. I, do I need to remind what happened to Riley Gaines at San Francisco? She was put in apprehension and fear of her life, and the school defended it. It didn't. It didn't. It didn't denounce it. It defended it. And how long did it take Stanford for them to correct a dean, a dean at the law school, shutting down a federal judge? How long did that take? Or Charles Murray? getting rocks hurled at him as if it were an intifada when he spoke. Or Heather MacDonald at Claremont McKenna. Claremont McKenna, which used to be known as Fort Reagan, had to give her speech at a place of remove in an alternate location where people could only watch it by closed circuit. Claremont McKenna, you know, it brings up an interesting point. I was Another discussion I was having with a friend, Steve, you know, some of these places that were once conservative, they weren't conservative, really. Not really. One might say Hillsdale's conservative, but it really is an outpost. A place like Claremont McKenna, formerly Claremont Men's, had a couple conservative departments. But the faculty would have never been more, never been more than uh, 40% Republican at most or at best. But that's what constituted conservative in the university setting. That, that's what constituted a conservative in those days, if it had something more than 10%, I suppose, and not just in the hard sciences, not just in the hard sciences, but in the arts, in the humanities, if you will. Um, okay. Uh, do you want me to – can I take Doug? Yes. Is he available? I can take Doug. Doug is in Maricopa. Hello, Doug. Hey, Seth. How are you? Well, first of all, I agree with everything you said about uh, about the Jones character. Um, but I have a slightly different take. Maybe sure. it's not really different at all. Okay. Uh, the, the, the frustration I have with you, Seth, is every time I'm all excited because I think we disagree, we don't disagree. <laughs> <laughs> You're looking for the disagreements? Okay. I, I, I try so hard. Okay. <laughs> I try. But... Um, I, I kind of look at him as more of a, a reflection of uh, people like mine, uh, like my, like myself, who are just totally frustrated and disgusted 
with our side and our apathy and our, you know, so the left is just gets in there and fights. They yeah. lose and they stand on the battlefield. They win and they advance. Yeah. You know, yeah. if they lose, they advance. They will not back down. You let, know? let me take and a break so, and come back to you on this. And and, and sure. here's, here's the tough question I would pose. You can think about it and, sure. and come back with your answer. Is replatforming Alex Jones <laughs> an advancement <laughs> or a retreat? I'll let you take that on when we come right back. Portions of the show brought to you by Y-Refi. They have a secure investment, and it actually helps people. And with Y-Refi, you are in control. You can turn your income on or off, compound it, whatever you like. There is no attack on principle. If you ever need your money back, you get your monthly statement with no surprises, and there are absolutely no fees in this secure and collateralized portfolio where you can earn up to a 10.25% fixed rate of return. That's right. 10 and a quarter percent fixed rate of return, and the investment is not correlated to the stock market or the Fed. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com, or give them a call at 888-YREFI24. Doug in Maricopa, thanks for your patience, sir. Absolutely. Now, you have to pose that question to me because you posed a challenge. Oh yeah. Like, yeah. Is it an advancement or a retreat to replatform Alex Jones? A, re- a retreat. Yeah. But uh, but here's why. Yeah. It's perfectly understandable. Yeah. Um, I'm disgusted. I can't stand it. I'm so tired of people running and hiding and praying. The whole, you know, it, it's just give me a break. Pray for the courage. If you say you're a libertarian, don't be a, a moron and run. And, and, and it's no, really, there, you know, I, I used to keep track of the races. If you if you added the libertarian and constitutional party to the Republicans and everything, we won the race. That's right. You know, oh, oh God, it just pops my court. That's absolutely you know, instead, right. We, instead, these libertarian purists, uh, you know, and I, I have a lot of leanings that way sure but i'm not a i'm not a tactical moron but they you know? yeah that's right they get a hundred percent of nothing rather than right 60 percent right. of something yeah now the, the left on the other hand they actually have brains right now, what they do is say i'm an extreme communist so let's <laughs> stick to the left and we'll get there in 20 years and we're like nope nope if we're not doing it this election i'm going to commit political suicide but I think everybody's disgusted. So what what's happening with we're, with our gutlessness? We got to unite, hold together, and if you get thirty percent of what you want with a, an establishment, I am happy as heck. It's, yeah, you it's, know, it's it's that line from the Paul Newman movie, isn't it? A hundred ten percent of something is better than a hundred percent of nothing. Exactly, uh, something right. like that. But. But with that said, yeah. I still want to keep pushing our party more and more to MAGA, and I view MAGA more this way. They're willing to fight. They got a bone in there. They, they've bitten onto the bone, and they're going to be dogged about it. I view, you know, Cruz and Rand Paul and those guys and Kennedy down in Louisiana. You know, that's such a great point, the diversity of what constitutes MAGA, too, because I think yeah. in some respects someone might put Tom Cotton in there, too, in, in, yes. in, in, a, yes. certain, in a certain category yep. of it. Yep. And yet they all are a little bit different. And I'll say this, too, and you're welcome to stay if you want to talk more about this at the opening of the next segment, because yes. i got to run. Mm-hmm. But I will say this. Alex Jones is easy to paint as a kook. He says nothing on the line of kookiness that isn't more representative 
of what the left's mainstream is. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.